What's up, guys? Welcome to The Strength Connection. I'm Michael Kurkowski, and I'm here to connect you with the top minds in the world of strength to share stories, insights, and uh, experiences to help you become stronger every single day. So today, I've got one of the strongest guys on the show, and he's right from my hometown. I got Grayson Strange. He's the owner of Basis Health and Performance New York and an FRC Kin Stretch instructor, and he joins me to talk about all things strength, mobility, and most importantly, joint health. So I first heard about Grayson from my former partner who dove into the world of kin stretch and functional range conditioning for a while. And I saw that he just opened up a studio in my town, Saratoga Springs, New York. Grayson is an incredibly interesting guy. He went from the world of competitive cheerleading, then into the land of CrossFit for a bit with him and his wife, and to doing what he primarily does now, which is combining the art of kin stretch and mobility and strength together. So if you don't follow Grayson already on social media, you need to do that immediately. That's a direct order. He has an incredible way of showing proper mobility work and combining them with incredible strength feats. So mobility and joint health is something that we don't hear enough of in the health and fitness world, and not just about things like warm up and injury recovery, but in the fact that it's actually one of the best practices that you can do to continuously progress in your strength and feel great every day. So I was so pumped to go deep into this world with Grayson. He was the best guy to do it. So this hour literally flew by and we're gonna have to set up a follow-up so we can continue chatting about the new certification, the internal strength model that he's a part of. So you can find Grayson on Instagram at strangegrayson or uh, his site at basisny.com. So lastly, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe so you can catch all new episodes every single week. And please leave an awesome review. It does so much for us in helping to spread the message of strength and we greatly appreciate your support. So without further ado, we'll get on with the show. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll see you on the inside. And here we are again. Grayson, what's up, man? So it's so nice. Hello. To hello. Likewise, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was just saying back and forth. I uh, I first found you when my old partner, Chris, mentioned that this guy's in our hometown in Saratoga Springs, this little small town. We've got another kin stretch and kettlebell and strength guy in here. And I'm like, yeah. holy shit, like we got to connect at some point. So I'm so happy. I feel like this has been a long time coming. Totally, man. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm grateful to be here. It's so, it was so funny, like getting connected with him and then you. And it was like, of all the people, you know, like it was funny too. Chris and I had both like moved across from California over here. Like we just, I felt like we had really similar stories <laughs> getting out here. Exactly. And it was just really, it's funny to end up in a little town like that, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah, man. So well, dead. No, this is going to be great. So uh, listeners, if you don't know, if you didn't, if you just ran through the intro really quick, I have Grayson Strange on here with me today. Uh, it's from the Strong First World in Kettlebells, which I found him, but really into FRC and Kin Stretch, the owner of Basis Health and Performance here in New York, in my hometown here, Saratoga Springs, which is awesome. And, you know, Grace, it's, uh, you know, Kin Stretch is something that is a super fascinating topic to me, because as I mentioned, I first got into it when I met Chris, I met Chris when he first, I think just came back like a couple months after like oh, yeah. getting into his first, you know, cert from Kin Stretch and was getting into the stuff like the pails and rails and the the active tension base work. And totally. it was I was kind of that guy for a while. Like I loved strength and I was always in the strength world and always like, yeah, I'm I do mobility. I stretch beforehand. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I do my five minutes of stretching and then I just get right to my squats and I'm good. But uh, yeah. He just op he just opened my mind up into a whole new world of this where it's such a it's such a a marriage between mobility and strength. So I'm excited. We're going to jam on that uh, here as we as we get rolling. I, I can't wait to talk about it, man. Especially with all the recent stuff that's in my brain now, I feel like it's just ready to explode. So exactly, yeah. So we'll get, get into it. Out. Yeah. Before we dive completely into it, though, uh, would just love if I can get a little bit of your origin story of how you got into this world of strength. You know, from your background, kind of how you found your way into the the strength world as well as the kind of kin stretch and mobility world yeah yeah totally man so um you know i got i got really into um weight training when i was a, a little freshman in high school and you know i think a lot of that stemmed just from like insecurity and ego and and i i as a younger person i never played sports i didn't have any interest in that i didn't do gymnastics my parents very nicely encouraged me to do all that stuff but i was a little bit of a stubborn little rebel, you know, so anything that was, was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So I just, you know, wanted to skateboard and play video games and, and, mm -hmm. and do that thing. And then I got into uh, high school and, you know, I was like, I, I went to a, a Waldorf school, which is just, I don't know if you've mm -hmm. heard of that, but it's a, it's a funny little private school and right next door, <laughs> right. Yeah, totally right in your hood. Um, and you know, there just wasn't a big emphasis on playing sports. We played games and stuff like that. But then I went to like a real public high school and I was like, wow, it's like everybody, 
play sports. They're all good at sports. Like, I don't know how to throw a football. I just felt like a kind of a pathetic out of place person. And as soon as I got out of my first semester of gym, I was like, I'm taking weight training and I want to learn how to lift weights. And you know, I was like 14. So that's when I really got into lifting weights. I had no idea what I was doing, you know, bench press, bicep curls. That was about it. I yep. did that for pretty much all of high school, no leg training, just the muscles that you can see. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then when I went to college, um, I, I was, you know, I had gotten more into weight training. I actually started training my legs and trying to be more balanced, but just doing basic bodybuilding stuff. And uh, a friend of mine in the dorms was uh, on the co-ed cheerleading team. And I used to give him a hard time. I was like, oh, you're a male cheerleader. Like, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, hey, you know, you should just, just come try it out, man. You like, you like working out. I think you'll really like it. You know, there's a lot of, of explosive training that we do. So I went to practice and I mean, like I, I was totally hooked the first time just because it was this, you know, the idea of throwing people in the air and trying mm-hmm. to catch them on one hand and seeing what all these dudes could do with these little tiny people, yeah. it really, it really appealed to me. So I got into that and, you know, it was a lot of training that was involved for it. So we kind of had, to, we had to learn how to do some Olympic weightlifting stuff. We were training with the other sports teams and that really got me down that road of like things like Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting and stuff like that. Um, so I did that through college and then I, I got a job with the Denver Nuggets when they had a, a paid position as a co-ed cheerleader. So we'd go, yeah. you know, go to the games and do stuff, which was super cool. Um, oh, that's and awesome. that, yeah. 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 It was, it was, you know, it was by far like one of, one of the coolest paid jobs that I've had. Not that it was, it was glamorous and made me a lot of money, but it was yeah. really fun. Um, and then that, you know, that sort of trend, like getting into the Olympic weightlifting side, that kind of transitioned into CrossFit. And, okay. and that was, oh, let's see, when I was really first exposed to CrossFit was about 2007. And uh, I, I mean, I was, you know, watching what these people were doing. I was like, I'm going to do CrossFit. That looks mm-hmm. so badass. And they had Olympic weightlifting and body weight gymnastics stuff. So I was, you know, I, was, I got really into that. Um, and at that point, I finished school. I moved to New York um, and became the claims adjuster for Liberty Mutual Insurance, of all things. I have my okay. degree in construction management. You know, like <laughs> what I do now has nothing to do with what I learned in school. And, you know, as I was out here, I was trying to do CrossFit. I was going to a gym, um, doing my trying to climb the corporate ladder dream thing, you know? Yep. And I got a promotion. I moved to Dallas. I started going to a really popular CrossFit gym there that was a lot more competitive. So I kind of wanted to get into the the competitive CrossFit. And then I just had an epiphany one day where I was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm looking at my coworkers. They all seem like they, they're not into their jobs, you know? And I'm like, this is what I'm destined for. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to do something that I really love. So I ended up quitting my job. I cashed in my 401k, took my savings, moved into my parents' basement back in Denver mm-hmm. and, uh, and started coaching at a CrossFit gym. And after about a year um, with my wife now, we opened up a CrossFit gym with a couple other business partners. We had a CrossFit gym there from you know 2011 until 2013. We kind of wanted to go different directions with the CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And um, we sold our share of the business and moved to California we started working for NorCal strength and conditioning, which was Rob Wolf's old gym yeah. in Chico, mm-hmm. California. Yep. Um, and you know, that was, that was a wonderful experience. Like it, we learned a lot about how to run a business. They just had a really good model um, yeah. for running a business and it was a really good coaching job. Like we had health insurance and we had a 401k. I mean, it was, you know, it was like, wow, we can go be coaches somewhere like a real and, job <laughs> and have a real job and like, and buy a house and do all these things that we want to do, start a family. And, you know, we were there for, man, probably almost four years. Um, and he, he had gotten out and he had sold it to his brother-in-law or a really good friend, Sean, and he wanted to get out of the business. So he ended up selling the gym to somebody else. And we just, we didn't see eye to eye with the new owner. And we were kind of thinking like, we really want to open a gym again. We had gotten exposed to functional range conditioning and gotten certified for the first certification there. And we were trying to implement it at the gym. And, you know, we just had all these ideas of, of how we wanted to incorporate that uh, along with some like heart rate monitored conditioning mm-hmm. in a gym setting and really have this focus of like, let's have a gym where people can come in, but we'll have this component of assessing people to look at like, what's going to be good for you to train versus each individual person. Yes. Let's do this heart rate monitored conditioning and offer kin stretch classes uh, and strength training. And so we opened this gym in Chico, California called Basis Health and Performance. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and we were there and that was really when we got dove headfirst into Ken stretch and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. strong first, that's where I, I got strong first certified in California. Yep. And, um, and then, you know, with all of the COVID stuff and my, my wife's family's, uh, her father has some health stuff, mm-hmm. the fires, all of these things culminated into like, I, we really want to get out of California. 
Yeah. And so we found a house, we, we sold our share of the business and opened up this New York side of basis health and performance and yep. we built this gym at our house and we're doing, you know, online training and we have clients come to the house and that's, that's, that's then the rest the is history, right? 12 there. years or so. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring up uh, cheerleading because one of my first like real people that I met who I saw was like just different type of strength that I've ever seen before was actually a male cheerleader and a gymnast. Really? And the first time, oh yeah, it was a good friend of mine, Sienna College, which is right up um, the way from where I grew up. Uh, my best friend went th went there and we would go up every like Wednesday or Thursday. Like we would just all get a group and, you know, go see what's going on. And yeah. he had a friend there. I forget the kid's name, but he was a male cheerleader. And of course, when you're 19 years old, you know, you hear male cheerleader, you're just all, you know, what the heck is going on with that? Totally. And Why would you do that? <laughs> absolutely. And I remember coming back from a party. I remember this so vividly. He was in the quad and this kid just popped up into a handstand, just free, no feet on the tree or anything like that. And just did five, just handstand push-ups just standing right there and I just looked I'm like what the fuck did I just see right now right. and I was like okay and I started looking at it, I was like wow like there's a different strength in gymnastics and and cheerleading that comes in so it's like it is one of the toughest sports for people yeah. especially on the male side of of doing it that I found yeah I mean you know it's funny there's there's all you know there's all kinds of stereotypes for the cheerleader thing mm -hmm. but when you really get in there I mean it really it's a really athletic endeavor and it's, it's a weird thing, you know, like even for people who are used to weightlifting, like when you're used to throwing weights in the air, you get used to that, that mass is dead. It just, it is, it does what it does. But when you have this long lever of a human body, <laughs> granted those, the, the ladies that are doing this stuff, I mean, they're amazing at controlling their bodies, but it's a whole different thing throwing a person in the air. And it was kind of that same thing. When I first went to this cheerleading practice, I'm watching this guy that I work out with, like, you know, we would go train and we would do like one arm snatches. So we're trying to snatch the hundred pound dumbbell. And then I see him take this like 120 pound girl and, you know, toss her up into a one hand, one hand hold. Grip, yeah. he catches her and she's standing in his hand. I was like, what did I just see? That's some crazy. I didn't even know that shit was possible. Yeah. You know, like I just exposed me to this whole thing that I had no idea about. And then, yeah. you know, like, I mean, we would go compete down in Florida at Disney mm -hmm. world and, and there'd be like a partner stunt competition and they have the, the best in the world of these um, competitive co-ed yeah. cheerleaders, just, you know, a partner guy and a girl and these dudes are literally like throwing the girl up and she's doing a back tuck and then landing on their hands. And then they take them and spin them around. And she does like a 360 and lands in the other hand. I mean, they're front flipping off and landing in a cradle and they're throwing them back up. And it was just like, this isn't, is this humanly possible? I didn't even know this shit was could physically, like literally define the laws of physics. It was so yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and if you have a, a kettlebell or a barbell or something, like if a snatch goes awry, you can kind of just chuck it away Drop and it. walk. You don't care. When that, yes. when that has a heartbeat and a brain that you're, you have know, got over your head too. The stakes are a little high. bit, exactly. The stakes are a little <laughs> bit higher from there. Yeah. So, so then you got into CrossFit and then you said you really got into the FRC, you know, world from that. So I'd yeah, love to. I mean, I, I got really into the CrossFit and I wanted to be competitive. You know, I had, I had these wild aspirations of, of going to the CrossFit games. This was in the early days, even for me, I, I wasn't at that level, but I, that was really where I wanted to go. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's funny that you said before, you're like, I don't need to do this mobility stuff. Like I, you know, I work out like in my mind, I was like, yeah, I don't really need to stretch because I'm, I'm, I'm doing functional training. Like I'm putting my body in lots of demanding positions. So in my mind, like I'm doing enough to maintain my movement capacity, you know, mm -hmm. and that's all I ever thought about. Plus I was in my twenties. So it didn't really matter what I did. You know, it was like bad night's sleep. Doesn't matter. Train hard, you know, didn't eat enough train hard. Right. Um, and I, I got really burnt out on it. I mean, I was just really hammering away and intensity was my only focus. So I would just make sure the workouts were hard and that was all I needed to do. And I slowly just started to get more and more beat up. You know, my back really started to bug me. I mean, at one point my back, my low back was so fragile like I could have a day in the gym where I pull a 500 pound deadlift and feel okay. And then the next week I would throw my back out, tying my shoe and like mm -hmm. not be able to walk for two weeks. And my wife would have to help me get dressed. I mean, I was really falling apart. I didn't, you know, I didn't like training. I was like gaining weight, but I was working out all the time. Like I was just right. in the deep hole of way too much stress. Mm -hmm. And, um, at NorCal strength and conditioning, they had de-affiliated with CrossFit and tried to go a little more 
sustainable approach where they were doing more strength training, less intense conditioning, just lower volume stuff. Mm -hmm. And they had different class offerings. They had implemented like an on-ramp program where if you come in, you're not just going to get put into classes. You're going to do this introductory program where we teach you all the basics and, you know, kind of assess oh, a good idea. Yeah. At, a, at a basic level. It was, it was totally awesome. And through that, you know, we, um, that really kind of steered us a little more towards Olympic weightlifting and, mm -hmm. um, we had gone out and trained with Greg Everett when he I was, was going to say, did you know Jose. Greg? I know Loved Greg was Greg with Rob. Yeah. Such a wonderful dude. Yeah. Um, and Amy, they're awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'd gone out there and gotten certified through there when they were doing uh, in-person certifications. This was, oh man, 2012, maybe something okay. like that. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, so that was sort of the initial start of like getting out of CrossFit, getting into Olympic weightlifting. And then we saw some FRC stuff on the internet. And I was just like, what is this? This is mm -hmm looks very strange. You know, people are making these really crazy faces. I can see they're working, but I have no idea what the hell they're doing. Like, but mm -hmm. watching what some of them were capable of doing from a mobility standpoint, it was really mm -hmm. intriguing. And that's, that's what got us in that rabbit hole. And, and then, you know, going to mm -hmm. FRC was like this mind blowing experience where I realized like, Oh shit, I need to start over. Like I need to reevaluate everything that I'm doing and have, yeah. and, and completely change our approach, which is yeah. why we got into that starting the gym and, you know, changing right. directions so yeah. violently. So, yeah. So like I said, like at, before we even recorded, I said, I, I have a very surface level understanding of FRC yeah. and kin stretch, which I think like as enough of, you know, just coaching experience, I understand what it is. I've experienced it myself and I know the benefits yeah. of it, but if you could just like quickly for anybody who doesn't know what the heck we're talking about here, like what is FRC, which is functional range conditioning? Like what is the what is the definition and really the method behind it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say in the simplest explanation, it's really a, an approach to joint specific or tissue specific training that, you know, long-term goal is really like, it's really enhancing body control, which sounds, sounds kind of vague. And there's lots of stuff out there about control, how you move and all that. But the, the approach is very, it's very science-based and it's very, um, it's very dependent on how you do it based on the individual, like your own body or who you're working with. So, you know, you could, you could take a shoulder, for example, like mm -hmm. there's certain things that a healthy shoulder joint needs to be able to do. Like number one, we need to have space between the head of your humerus and the socket, right? We need mm -hmm. joint surface space so that That's bone can move around freely. And then you have the component of like the, the connective tissue that makes it, that holds that thing in place and does that really fundamental movement. Every joint has a fundamental movement that it needs to do. Um, and then, then we have the, the brain connection to all that stuff. How well do you understand how to move that? And so we can do an assessment and look at a shoulder joint, like how much movement does that shoulder joint have at, at the fundamental movement level of internal and external rotation. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, we can say, okay, cool. Like you have a healthy shoulder joint. If you have if it moves well and you can control that range of motion, but everybody, no matter what has all kinds of stuff that is not working like it's supposed to, just because of how we move, how we train, how we sleep. I mean, every, essentially every physical thing that we've done or haven't done up to this point in our lives changes our body to the state that it's in right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, this one, it gives us a really simple way to look at somebody and say, let's look at these individual pieces and see how you move based on that. We can make, right. these, we can make, uh, good decisions about what they should be doing for training. That's not going to be causing damage or pain or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we also know the things that we need to improve on based on, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to be able to, do? you need to pull up? Well, if you don't have any external rotation in your shoulder, we probably shouldn't have you hanging from a pull-up bar yet, but there's still ways that we can train to work your pulling muscles while we simultaneously build up the capacity of that. So it really mm -hmm. is just, it's a system that gives us this way to analyze what somebody's currently capable of, and then gives us a bunch of tools to really improve for whatever they want to do, because it is, I think my favorite part about it is that it's, it's very unbiased in the sense of, you know, in this world that we live in of social media and all that, like th three things that you need to do to fix, to fix your back. If you do this, this is going to ruin your knees. There's all this really mm -hmm. black and white bullshit out yes. there. And this is like, what do you want to do? Okay, cool. You, we, we know what you want to do now. And now we know all of the things that need to take place to make your body capable of doing that. And that's, that's probably it at its simplest level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think that's perfect. And you know, what was so interesting about it when I first saw it was, as you said, it's like that system of being able to isolate the body in different pieces to like get a laser beam microscope at 
what's going on there, like with the shoulder or like with the yeah. hip and it's, and it's unbiased. It's like, that is, we, we live in a world of lists, like the top five things you can do and just systematically yeah. check off. All, well, I did all of them. So my back's going to be great when it's like, no, yeah. like this is a system that I think mobility is one of those things that still is, is misconstrued in so many ways. Like most people still, we think of mobility or stretching and we think of yoga or we think of warm up. When in reality, yeah. no, like there are ways to improve your mobility and your control, which is going to benefit you so much into the strength world, but you just have to take a little bit more yeah. time just to isolate it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like I really think a, a major problem with, with everything is that, you know, we, we want simple answers. We want things to be simple. And I want my body to be simple, but damn, it is it is a complicated thing. Like there's so much about the body that that we don't know why it does this or why it works. And we mm -hmm. granted, we know a lot too, but you know, a lot of the time, I mean, you know, I have this conversation a lot with people coming in who mm -hmm. they've have shoulder issues or whatever, and they've gone to CPTs. They've seen all these people, they've talked to surgeons, they have all this stuff and um, they want simple answers. And, and, and I, they come to me and they're like, well, you know, let's look at your shoulder. Like it, it's how we approach this is going to be entirely dependent on what your shoulder is capable of doing. And I can't tell you exactly what that's going to be like, or I have people reach out on the internet a lot, send me DMS and they're like, Hey, every time I do this, I got this pain in my shoulder. What should I do? And I'm like, well, you probably have an issue with your shoulder, but I mean, there's a list of shit that could be, I could throw a dart at it and maybe I've hit the right one, but I could mm -hmm. also have you just suggest to do something that's not going to be good for your shoulder at all. So it is, it is very, very dependent um, on, on what the current, current movement capacity is. And, you know, the other thing that's really tricky the going back just to the joint specific thing versus like, there's definitely a lot of movement assessment stuff. People will say, let me see you squat and I'll tell you where you have problems. And sure you can, you can see certain things in a squat, but what you don't see is individual joint movement. And our body is one of the most amazing things that our body does is compensate for stuff. If it's not there, you know, your, your body doesn't go, Mike, you don't have enough supination in your right elbow to, mm -hmm you know, do these bicep <laughs> curls, your body goes, you want to do curls? Okay, let's do these curls. And it will do that as long as it can. And if, mm -hmm. and usually the only time we notice there's a problem is like when something starts to hurt when we're doing something and we're like, I don't get it. I didn't do anything here. I've been working out this whole time and my elbows killing me. I have like elbow tendonitis yes. and mm -hmm. I've been trying to do all this healthy stuff. You know, the, the, the tricky part is that unless we really look at those individual movements, mm -hmm. if I look at somebody doing a pushup, I don't really know how much shoulder internal rotation they have because there's many joints working there's scapular movement there's elbow there's shoulder there might be some spine in there so it doesn't tell me specifically if there's enough space at that one joint to do something so you know a lot of the time it's 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 kind of a difficult conversation with people like i think about i did crossfit i probably did thousands of butterfly pull-ups and i literally should not have been hanging from the bar and i just yes. you know it was a short enough amount of time that i didn't cause any really permanent damage to my shoulder but it was like man every time i do a bunch of pull-ups my shoulder really bugs me for four or five yeah. days but i don't know it's you know yeah. i just probably need to do more pull-ups to make it better yeah. yeah don't listen to so, that just just yeah, bury totally. it down. Just, yeah, just get more it. always just more reps yeah. yeah well it's funny you mentioned the assessments and i came from a you know, years of an FMS background. And I do, oh, yeah. I've done a lot of functional movement assessment, which is a phenomenal test. It gives a nice baseline down, but I was so happy when, uh, you know, Gray and Brett and Lee, they came out with the functional capacity screen because that's the more the performance level because, oh yeah, like it was funny because I knew from, from working with individuals who were coming in when a lot of people were coming in after doing nothing, you know, like they're coming from very sedentary. So any oh. type of assessment, you're going to see some stuff and you start working on, they're going to feel better. But I knew personally as a kettlebell athlete, I knew how to move my body is I could cheat that test very yeah. easily. Like I knew how to, I knew how to squat parallel and perpendicular. So it's like, I could make it look really good because I just yeah. knew it, but getting into some kin stretch work where you're isolating my hip joint, cause I have a pin in my left hip. So my, okay. my movement, you know, my mobility is very different from one side to another if I don't do the sure. right prep work on it, but I could make it look good in there. So that's what I liked about kin stretch. As you said, it's very unbiased. Like it is going to tell you exactly where your range of motion is at, at that moment. It's going to take a little bit of time to build up the, the tension techniques and stuff like that to get there, sure. but you're going to arrive at the right answer for your body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it was, it was so funny. Like I mentioned my back problems. Um, some days I was super strong. I could lift really heavy and other days I'm throwing my back out. And then, you know, as it got, it, it did progressively get worse. It, it ended up being like a lot of the time when I would try to lift heavy, especially if I, 
you know, in my mind, I'm thinking like, if I, if I don't deadlift correctly, I hurt my back. So if I pulled something too heavy and I went into a little bit of spine flexion, I would have these massive back spasms. Mm -hmm. Sometimes squatting heavy would do that. And, you know, if you were to watch me squat, at least from my lower body down, you're like, Oh, this is a decent squat. You know, like his hips go below his knees. I don't have crazy knees diving in. I mean, none of those faults that you would consider a good or bad squat. Mm -hmm. And when I, real, when I started getting into FRC, I looked at my right hip. I literally, I had no internal rotation in my right hip. Like you need to have degrees of internal rotation kind of depends on what you want to do for how much you need. I had zero degrees of, of internal rotation. Like I literally had so little space in my hip capsule that when I would get to a certain part of movement, my femur literally would stop moving freely inside my pelvis. And what would happen would be, it would get stuck and then the next thing that would help me move would just be pelvic movement. So I'd be essentially, you know, forcing my spine to go into lumbar flexion. So anytime we don't have a joint that's doing what that joint is supposed to, some other joint or tissue nearby is going to basically take over. So it's like yes. now my spine is trying to do the job of my hip. So it totally makes sense that that would, you know, possibly wreck my back sometimes. It's like, how long can my back be my hip? Not forever. Right. Um, but it was, it was funny because if somebody had me squat, they would have been like, you're fine, dude. I don't know. Go foam roll your back. Like clearly it's yes. probably tight or something simple, you know? <laughs> yes. Foam roll and heating pad. That is, yeah, that's the, yeah. Take some Tylenol, shut up. Yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. So, so going back. So when you first did FRC and you said it was really like this mind opening experience that you had, what was the things that kind of like hit right off the bat? Was it how you felt from doing the drills or was it just the information that you're like, yes, this is, well, this is definitely on the right path. Maybe a combination of both or it was definitely both. I mean, just, you know, first hearing some of the lectures, I mean, a lot of that thing was like the joint specific assessment of like looking at, does your shoulder joint do this thing? Because once you start learning about what the fundamental joint movements are, you can really translate that to, oh, I see a pull-up. Like what are the things that are involved in a pull-up? Well, lots of shoulder rotation, good shoulder flexion. How much shoulder flexion do you have before your spine moves? You know, I'm looking at my shoulder, like I hang on the pull-up bar here and I'm dropping, doing these butterfly pull-ups. I'm dropping down with multiples of my body weight into this position. However, if I don't hang on the pull-up bar and I put my arm in this position here, that's about how much external rotation I have. And if I Mm -hmm. put my arms over my head, that's about where my arm goes without moving my spine. And it's like, I'm doing shit here (laughs) where my shoulder has no idea what it's supposed to be doing. So, I mean, I heard that and I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And then they're, you know, they, so you're talking about compensations, like your body is going to do whatever you ask it to do. It's not going to say you don't have enough range of motion here to do this. It's just going to do it until things start to fall apart. That was a really big, you know, aha moment or whatever you want to call it. And then I started, I you know, and we're going through hip movement and all this stuff. And I'm like, I, I literally can't do this. I'm trying to do what they're asking me to do. And like, I'm having such horrible cramps all over trying to do that. Like I, I literally am falling over on the ground because I can't even hold my leg out straight. And so, you know, when you start thinking about like, you want to add external load to this position and you can't even move your joint into that position just with the weight of your leg, using the muscles in your hip, like mm-hmm. what's going to happen long-term if you keep adding more weight than that, like that thing can't do what it's supposed to on its own. You want to add double your body weight to it and try to move there something's going to give at some point. So that was, I was just like for my own training and then thinking about people coming to the gym doing CrossFit, you know, cause mm-hmm. this kind of standard model back in the day was like, well, you, you can't do pull-ups, your shoulder bugs you. That's cool. We're just going to strap a bunch of rubber bands to your feet right. and then you can hammer out these pull-ups. And if you want to get better in your shoulder problems, like if you get a stronger pull-up, you're going to get a better shoulder. Right. It's like, right. Oh, maybe that isn't <laughs> the approach. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, the concept of, of joint health is something that I don't think we talk about enough, you know, in the fitness industry, I think it's still just very, it's almost like underground and some, and from talking with people who have had joint issues and having joint issues myself, it's like, I don't wish joint pain on anybody. Like, you know, you can get over, you can get over sore muscles and stuff like that, but that joint pace and creating that space. And I think a lot of times we think that we can, it seems like maybe we think we can exercise our way into better joint health where it's like single leg, single leg work, like yes, dynamic stability and static stability. Yes. That's important. That's going to help strengthen it. But that creating the space is when you really feel good, you know, from it as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, I mean, having, I have this whole different perspective now, but you know, thinking about, I mean, most of my clients that I have are, 
they're older. I don't train a ton of super competitive people. You know, mm -hmm. it's just generally people who are like, I want to work out and like not have my back kill me when I drive home in the car. I mean, it's, you know, it's very basic stuff, but it's amazing um, how, how common it is uh, this mindset of I am this age. So it's normal that I feel this way. You know, we all kind of take this thing as like, this is how life is. As I age, I'm supposed to get stiffer. I can't touch my toes anymore. Like, duh, I'm 50. Of course I can't touch my toes anymore. This is totally acceptable. Mm. And it's funny because that like, just, just little things, you know, like, like in, in FRC stuff, we look at foot movement, toe yeah. movement, like individual toe movement. I mean, it's just, it's just, we all just have these established norms. It's like, dude, if I just could flip a switch and I could make your hands start moving with the, the, the lack of control that your, your toes have, like mm -hmm. you would be really, really worried. But because we just stuff our feet into a shoe and forget about them, like nobody's worried about that. But if all of a sudden you woke up and your, your hand was moving as good as your foot does, you'd be like, Oh shit, I got to do something. Yeah. immediately. <laughs> like this is a major problem. Um, that's funny to me. And you know, it's like, our body responds to whatever we do. You know, the things mm -hmm. that we do to it, like our cells are waiting for information. They don't have eyes and ears. They literally respond to how they're loaded and how they're moved. So, mm -hmm. you know, like a big component in functional range conditioning is doing your cars. It's controlled articular rotations. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just as essentially we need to take each joint through its end range of motion with control every single day. Because when you do that every day, you're telling those cells and all that surround all of that joint tissue I need you to move this much. You're not allowed to move less than this. And if we do that every day, it, your body goes, this is a priority. I can give energy to this stuff and maintain it. As soon as we stop doing that, you're essentially telling those cells, you don't need to move this much. You can move less than that. And that's, that's very much the principle of how an injury works. Like if you have a really bad injury and you need to put your arm in a sling for eight weeks, if you're not moving that thing around, essentially you told all of those cells, they don't need yeah. to do elbow movement, shoulder movement, which is generally why people, if they have, are in a cast, you know, where their elbows bent, mm -hmm. you get out of a cast after eight weeks, your elbow is stuck in that position. And it's because for eight weeks, those cells were told you don't need to do any movement. And essentially like on a long enough time scale, that's why scar tissue forms is because those are cells that have been told for a really long time that they don't have to do shit. So as the cells are changing and, you know, regenerating and coming back, Mm -hmm. That information is being passed down. So these cells are saying, you don't need to move as much as me. So the new cells come in, they move less. Then the new cells come in and they move less and less and less. Mm -hmm. That's reversible. If we load that tissue over enough time, you can change scar tissue cells to move, to move again. And they're not scar tissue. But I mean, that is a really extreme example, but that's kind of what's happening over our whole lives when we're not maintaining our, our joint space and our movement capacity in there. So, I mean, that's why like I get people come in and they want to do FRC stuff. I'm like, look, all this work that you're doing, like we got to do cars to maintain that stuff. Do you want to mm -hmm. be able to move your hip less tomorrow? And of course it's not going to happen overnight, but I always, I always use this analogy of the, the mobility ship is sailing forward in the ocean 24 hours a day. And mm -hmm. what we do steers the ship, right? So like if I do my cars every day, I'm at least keeping that ship on a steady course towards not losing mobility. If I do my mm -hmm. cars today, I'm like the ship staying here going towards not losing stuff. Tomorrow I skip and it goes over just a little bit. And then it's like, oh, I got to do my cars the next day. So then I come back and it's starting straight. Well, if I do that every other day over a long enough time, that ship is slowly starting to go the direction that I don't want. It would slower than it would be if I didn't do it at all. Mm -hmm. But if I'm doing my cars every day, I'm keeping that ship in a straight line. And then if I have, you know, I got a funky knee, I got a funky hip. I put a little bit of work in on my hip and knee. Now I'm getting that ship to go just a little bit the other way. Mm -hmm. And like the ships, no matter what I do, the ship's going forward. I don't have any control on stopping right. that process since our cells are constantly in the state of change and they're constantly waiting for information. Mm -hmm. We just got to give them better information. I mean, that's really the, right. the fundamental piece here. That's a, that's a beautiful analogy. I mean, it's like time. It's time. You're not stopping time. It's, it's just continuing. It's, it's going to keep moving. At, at this most recent certification. I mean, that's, that's, they, they kind of talk about that, like, you want to change how time affects your body. Like this is literally the only thing that's out there that you could do that. I mean, I, I haven't experienced everything in the world, but I've been in this mm -hmm. industry for a while. I've experienced lots of different stuff. There is really nothing that works like this. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think sometimes it gets a bad rap, like people see it and it just looks, it's not super sexy, which is always hard to sell in the fitness industry. Like if you see somebody on the ground and they're in a basic position and they're making this really horrible face and they're working hard, nobody's like, I want to do that. That looks fun. 
Well, I'll tell you when we, we did a kin oh, yeah. stretch class at the studio once and uh, we were going through toe work. So you have everybody in like a crouch position, you know, holding the knee and everybody's looking down at their toes and everybody's trying to just move their big toe up and down. And I remember I looked over and there was two people coming by walking their dog because it was like a fishbowl. Like we had all these windows. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they looked in and then they looked at the sign and it's like, oh, strength training studio as everybody's just down there looking at moving their toe. On it. I'm like, this right. has to be the funniest looking thing ever if you don't have any context about what's going on in there. Yeah, it, yeah. it is. I mean, I even, you know, even in the beginning, like when we first got certified, I mean, I was really into it. I was, I was bought in and passionate about it, but you know, I, I really had to work on my explanation of what we were going to actually mm. do because I, people would come in and I would start to explain what, what FRC was. And I would try to use some of the terms and I would just see people's eyes kind of glaze over and they're like, so do I get to work out? Like when do, when does the weightlifting happen? You know, like I'm trying to get in shape and I'm like, Oh, we're going to lift weights. But you know, like this is a really important component because I don't want you to just lift weights. I want you to have, get a better shoulder. And they're like, mm -hmm. but I'm using the, you know, slightly more scientific terms or, or whatever. Right. It's just like, it's, it's, yeah. it's hard now. Now, you know, I just keep it as simple as possible. Like you have a shoulder problem. You want to bench press bench pressing is hurting your shoulder let's find an option that you can do to keep training and do something that's like strength training that you like, but we'll mm -hmm. simultaneously make your shoulder better. So you can start bench pressing. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I really like to reiterate for people that, that, you know, we're operating under the mindset of there's no bad movement and there's no good movement. There's only your body is either prepared to do that or it's not. And if you just started doing that thing, should you really expect that your body's okay with it? Like what did you prepare? If you wanted to start back squatting, like how did you prepare your body to start back squatting? Cause starting to back squat with weight isn't necessarily the starting point for back squatting, you know, but right. that's what we see. That's what we're used to. That's sort of the accepted way is like, I don't know if I want my legs to be stronger, I need to move some weight. So I'm just going to start squatting. It's like, you might not have a knee and if you don't have a knee squatting mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't stimulate that mostly because of that component I was talking about earlier with compensations. Like if I need my shoulder to internally and externally rotate more, there's no way to do that outside of just specifically training rotation. You know, I could do push-ups right. and pull-ups and all that stuff, but because all of that load is being shared over so many different parts, there's never enough load into that specific tissue that isn't working to actually make it adapt. So since the cells are entirely relying on that force communication. Mm -hmm. If I'm sharing that load over enough stuff, those cells are like, oh, we're fine. We're not really being asked to work any harder than we right. need to. If I put that, that tissue that doesn't move into its end range of internal rotation though, and I really start targeting it. Now I'm speaking directly to those cells that suck at moving. And over time I start to get better movement. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's how, that's why we need to do this, the, the joint specific approach. Like, you know, you can't train your knee unless we work on your knee. If I'm using your ankle, your knee and your hip together, there's not enough happening in the knee where it's going to actually elicit those changes. Right. Yeah. No, it is. It is. It's interesting. You know, we, I mean, we love black and white answers, right? It's like, no matter who we are, it's like somebody who's just getting started. Even people who have been doing this for 15, 20 years, like if we can get a fast answer, like that's what we're looking for on it. Yeah. And yeah. In reality, it's like some, as I, I like what you just said there, like you need to work on the knee. Cause a lot of times, even with coaches I've talked to, like squats are good for the knees. It's like, well, it's, it's good if you have a good squat in there, but it's not necessarily working the knee. Like that's still a movement where you're building muscle. It's not working on the specific joint as much. Like we do exactly. need, to, we do need to separate those. And, but one thing you mentioned there, Grayson, is you said it sometimes it does get the bad rep on there. It's like, do you think yeah. that's more because people just still don't understand it as much? Or do they think maybe it's going to take so much time away? And they're like, well, maybe I can just get away with just, just doing this just to feel better. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I always look at it like, you know, with like the classic sales mindset, like it, it all comes down to how you're presenting it. Because I, I, what I hear from a lot of people is uh, it's, it's a barrier to entry, you know, like if you have somebody who they're, they haven't worked out before. They just want to start working out and getting in shape and you get them in there and you're like, we need to look at your body and make sure if you can exercise or not, because this might be really bad for you. You know, like that's a, that's kind of a shitty approach that that person might be like, well, geez, I just want to work out and get better. And mm -hmm. you're telling me like, I, I shouldn't do that because it's going to be risky to my body. I think, I think sometimes people can take it as that, like you're, you know, you're telling like, or people who've been working out, you know, I've been doing CrossFit. You're telling me like, I'm not supposed to snatch 
snatching for four years. And I'm like, I know, but your shoulder, you're telling me your shoulder hurts. I'm like, you don't have external rotation. Your, your arm stops here yet. You're whipping a barbell into here mm -hmm. every day. You know, like I don't want you to stop working out. All I really want to do is find the things that we can do to work out that your body is really ready to tolerate while we keep working on that. And, and mm -hmm. I always try to, I mean, especially now after this internal strength model, I really like to translate that into like, what is happening when we make your shoulder externally rotate more? Because I think a lot of people look at it like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this right now as my warm up. Like I want to mm -hmm. lift a weight, right? Well, if, if we go, you know, in deeper into the functional range conditioning yeah. world, it's like, what is necessary for strength? Because, you know, the, the, they talk about this a lot in the seminar. They're, they're looking at like, how did they come up with back squatting? Well, people are like, I don't know, like, no, my, my knee bends like this, my hip bends like this. So if I want to make those movements stronger, what if I just put weight on my shoulders and I start moving up and down, like that's going to make a bigger squat. Right. And true like that is going to target those muscles that do that but there's so much more happening at a deeper level so like looking at fundamental joint movement we have the the tissue that makes up the joint capsule so you know in a shoulder that could be the there's the space between the joint surfaces mm -hmm. there's the tissue that moves that joint internally and externally right. externally that tissue specifically is the most responsible for communicating to your brain like that stuff has the most mechanical receptors in it, it goes directly to your brain and tells your brain where your shoulder is in space. Now, if I have a shitty joint capsule, meaning it just doesn't have a lot of movement, maybe I don't have a lot of joint space. It just means that overall, I have much less communication happening and telling my brain what that shoulder joint is doing. Mm -hmm. And it's also the, the natural function of our joints is as I go further into this range of motion and range and internal and external rotation, we generally lose our ability to generate and produce force. So like, if this is my full range of motion in my shoulder, mm -hmm. I'm strongest right here. And the further I go to here, the less force, like just the less work I can do. So what ends up happening, like if, if I improve all of those components, I have more space for that bone to move freely. That just means that this, my shoulder will go into more places before something else has to move. Right. My shoulder has more, has more movement capacity. I have better communication between the tissue and my brain and the principles that we're using to make your shoulder have, like, maybe you want to do pull-ups, but your shoulder only goes to here and we need to get it all the way back right. to here. The principles that we're using are literally the same principles that we use to get somebody's back squat bigger. So I'm, I'm teaching that tissue how to move further and not just getting it to move further, but also to be very, very strong in that end range. So if we were to, you know, graph this range of motion and force production, as opposed to it being a bell curve where it's like in the middle, I'm good. And then as I go down on either end, I go to zero at some point and I can't do anything. I can't even resist my arm going back that far, which mm. is like shoulder dislocations are really common this way because people fall on their arm gets pushed back, right, they can't yeah. push back hard enough to stop it. What happens, right? We have an injury. So if I make this really, really strong here, now I'm producing all this force in this end range graph to have this really linear strength curve. And all that means is through that full range of motion, I can generate and produce a lot more force. Gotcha. And so that alone, like if we develop a better shoulder, automatically your shoulder is going to be stronger and not because you did more reps of pressing because your shoulder is, is, does more shoulder stuff. Now your right. brain has a better understanding of how to recruit that muscle fiber. I mean, it can do all of that stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, it, it really is strength training, even though we are, we're doing what, you know, mobility do mobility, but like, yeah. what is mobility? I mean, if you get a better shoulder, you just get a better shoulder. What, what do you want to do with your shoulder? It doesn't matter because your yeah. shoulder is better. You decide what you want to do. Yeah. It's, it's connection, right? It's like, it's connecting yeah. your brain with exactly what's going on in your body. It's like, we got this, we have this meat suit here that we've all been given. It's like, actually yeah. know what's going on in each joint. The more control you have over that, the more your body's going to give you feedback about the weight training you're doing. It's like, so, you know, yeah. when you're getting strength, uh, stronger, or, you know, maybe when it's a bad rep, maybe it's time to, you know, it's, it's, I forget who said it, but it's always the rep that you get hurt on. It's like, watch the rep right before it's like yeah. everybody, it's always like, it's that slowdown in, in rep speed, or it's just, something's a little bit off. It's always the rep before that just puts you in that bad susceptible position. And so, so the more control that we have in our body, the more in tune we are with the connection of, you know, our brain into, you know, our CNS and everything else that's going on, then yeah. it's going to give us better feedback. So we can keep going in our program. We can keep building our strength up. Sure. Sure. I mean, and, and even going into that, like the, I mean, cause that's a really big thing now, like mm -hmm. correct movement, 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 coaching, changing, you know, like 
what's the optimal position to do this that's safe? And, it's, and if you think about it, like, well, why is, why is that safe? Why is it safe to deadlift with a flat back? And why is it generally considered not safe to deadlift with a round back? What is that? Is it because our spine is, inherent, is inherently weak when it's in flexion? No, it, it's not that at all. It's really like, where are you training your spine to be strong? Like I know when I used to train my spine, traditionally I deadlifted with as perfect form as I could get. I squatted with perfect form. I did a shitload of ab exercises and planks. And, you know, I, so I, I train neutral spine. And so all my efforts going into training neutral spine. And that means that in my range of my spine movement, if we go to the neutral, right. in the kind of the middle of that bell curve, like Mm -hmm. I'm way strong. As soon as my spine starts to go into flexion, I don't train flexion at all. So it's like that strength doesn't go down here. It's like, boop, nothing. Boom. Yeah, exactly. An extension, nothing. So, you know, people are like, I deadlifted. I got weak. I got tired and I pulled with a rounded back and I hurt my back. And it's like deadlifting with, with, with a rounded back is bad for your back. It's like, well, maybe for you. Yes, it is for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Deadlifting with a rounded back was really bad. I mean, I I've tweaked my back deadlifting 225 with a almost an imperceptible amount of flexion that I went into, but that was it. That was where Mm -hmm. I was. That was tissue. Couldn't resist those forces. And then something happened. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, you know, I think about the training that I'm doing, like I do a huge amount of training in spine flexion and extension. And I load that position. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I got a PR on like a Zerker deadlift. You know, it's like, if you're picking something off the ground with your elbows, you have no choice, but to lift with a rounded back. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of laughing. It's like, I can't, I'm so happy that I did that, but it's like, my back the next day, it's like, wow, it's not even sore. Like I just picked up 385 with my back round any other years ago. Like I would have been crippled if I did that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of this is just like going again, going back to that, like no bad movement, no good movement, just prepared or unprepared tissue. And so what do you want to do? Okay. You want to, you want to do some weird strongman stuff and lift Atlas stones. Let's train your back to get stronger in flexion. And then it's cool. Yeah. I remember it was a while ago when I think people were getting on Pavel because he was talking about neck position of swings. Cause everybody was going into that, like push your head back, that neutral neck of going down. Yeah. So every, so all of a sudden everybody you saw with swings were just going down and their head kept popping out. It's like, well, still look up, please. You know, everybody, but he was talking about the different positions of head up. And then he went into like, even some of the, the old time, uh, you know, best deadlifters in the world who had a rounded back in there. It's yeah. like, it's not a good movement versus bad movement. It's what you've trained yourself and what the position has been. Like, there's no exercise police, do what you want, you know, be, you know, totally. be smart I mean, about it. Yeah. You know, like, look at the bent press. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. like trying to do a bent press the first time I saw one and I'm not pressing anything. I'm like, I'm going to make my body get into this shape. And I was like, Oh, my back yeah. feels like it's going <laughs> to break. You know, like my hip literally is stuck. Like, yep how are people doing this with weights? You know, I saw somebody bent press the 48 kilo kettlebell and I was like, that's impossible. Like, how do you get your body to do that? Why can't my body do that? And it's, I mean, it's simply because I never put my body in those positions. Why would I expect that I could get there unweighted, let alone with crazy weight? You know, again, it just, I mean, look at the, those old, old time strong men in the turn of the century where, you know, there's a couple of records of bent pressing like 300 pounds. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can make your body prepared to do anything if you, prepare it's it's funny like something like the bend press honestly like up until like getting up to a 36k like i don't feel the bend press it's like it doesn't feel right like so there's some of those things too that you have to wait in the proper position to even get yourself in those positions so you mentioned uh this cert a couple times and i wanted to ask you about it which is the internal strength model which you just did recently on there and this is this is from frc this they is put FRC. On the certification? Yeah, it's their latest certification. I okay. think they've only done the one in Vegas. I think they have one coming up in January. I I, I hope that they continue to do them. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. again, like in the same in the same way that going to FRC was really mind blowing and like really created this divergent point of like, okay, I needed to go. I'm going this way now. Mm-hmm. This is kind of at that same level of of mind blowing change just, and it's very specific towards strength training. So it's still all of the FRC components that you're used to with some new stuff. I mean, there's new, new things that they've been working on over the last few years that they've implemented as well, but a lot of it is the same stuff, but um, it's a very specific approach towards strength training for maximal strength or strength training for hypertrophy, or Mm -hmm. maybe we need to just deal with connective tissue architecture and fix an an old injury. Uh, Maybe we need to specifically train slow twitch muscle fibers or fast twitch muscle fibers. 
And so there's a, a very kind of specific workflow roadmap to doing that stuff. And, you know, a big part of it is like, why are we doing all this volume? And, and I, you know, I, I, I mean, even they admit in the certification, they're like, this is like our lives. Like, this is what we're, we've put out. This is what we spent all of our time studying. And we're nervous to present it to you because this is so different than what the standard model is, what traditional strength training is. And, you know, we, they're, they're afraid that it's not going to be accepted just because people are going to be like, well, look at all these people that are strong. Look what they've been doing. Why do we need to change it now? You know, you could make that argument, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, you, you could say that, but like this stuff for one, I mean, it's just like at a, at a base level, it really just makes sense as far as longevity goes. So, you know, okay. the idea is um, they, they give a really great analogy of talking about like West side conjugate method. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but okay. you know, like in West side conjugate, I'm, I'm not a, an expert on conjugate. So I'm going to try to do my best summary here, but you know, like if we're training for maximal strength, if all I do is train for maximal strength, I lose other stuff. Like I'm going to lose speed over time to develop fast moving less weight, but faster. If I'm only Mm -hmm. focused on that, you know, 90 to hundred percent move this one load, doesn't matter how fast, just get it done. Uh, and, and other parts are going to suffer because if I'm just bench, benching, deadlifting and back squatting, mm-hmm. there's other components that I need to bring up. So accessory work is really big. So when you're following a West side conjugate program, yeah. you're, you're training for maximal strength, but you're still training speed days at lower intensities, right. you're still doing lots of accessory work. And what you're trying to do is bring all of those up together with one, one main focus. So maybe most of your intensity is going to that very heavy lifting, but you're still making sure that you're not losing your ability to generate force quickly. Yeah. You're not losing. So you're catching some of the water that's spilling over, over the top of the boat. Exactly. Okay. And so this is very much that kind of mindset, but with, with tissue ecology in mind. And so, you know, what, what they, what they've put out there is looking at like, okay, I have this much energy to train with. This is all that I have. I can put this towards whatever part of training that I want, but out of those components that we can put them towards, we have our muscle system, right? Yep. Just the regular muscles, which is generally where we put a lot of our energy into. We train the muscles, we lift weights, but that's leaving out other components like my joint space, um, all of my connective tissue, mm-hmm. the skeletal system and the, the afferent efferent feedback, they call it, which is just your, how your brain communicates with that tissue. Okay. It takes energy to maintain all of those, right? It mm-hmm. takes energy to improve them. So if all of my energy is getting put into this muscle system only, what's happening to those other things over time? I mean, I, I, you know, I think anybody who's lifted weights for a while into their thirties and forties knows this. You're like, you lift weights for long enough, you get kind of stiff, like things get tight. You got to balance that out somehow. You got to stretch, you got to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the, in the internal strength model, what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to put energy into each one of those components to make sure that we're bringing them up concurrently. Granted, you know, the, the other big component here is like what drives adaptation that's intensity. So we are trying to apply intensity to one of those, but intensity is kind of a a sweet spot, right? Like too much intensity, too much stress, more than we can recover from. That's not getting us moving us forward. That's actually causing more damage that we can recover from. We don't want to put too much intensity and we want to pick one of those things, whatever thing we need it the most on, that's where all the intensity goes. But the rest of that energy that I had available for training is going into that other stuff. So I'm getting some dose of maintaining my joint space and I'm working on the connective tissue component. I'm working on that brain feedback connection. I'm making, I'm training my muscles and I'm doing all that. So we're, we're just pushing up those needles at the same time. So none of them start to lag behind. Um, And, you know, like they give a, a great example, which is like, if you had somebody assess your hip internal rotation and they find that you have whatever arbitrary number, 10 degrees of internal rotation, and you want to deadlift and you need to get your deadlift up. So you go, go deadlift for eight weeks. That's all you do is deadlift. You do whatever you need to do to make your deadlift go up in eight weeks, your deadlift goes up. But if you go and have that hip checked again, see how much internal rotation right. you have, you're going to have a little bit less than what you had when you first had it assessed. And that right. you could, you could extrapolate that over time. It's going to get worse. The more we do that, the other component of that is, you know, like for how much we all lift weights and we see us training, like at this point, I've been lifting since I was 15. I should be able to back squat like 3000 pounds, <laughs> right? Cause I've been back squatting hard forever. Well, why doesn't it work like that? Like it doesn't, it's not exponential. Yes. But if you think about like all of those components, 
that are needed to make up strength is all of that stuff in there, right? How much my brain mm -hmm. understands how to move that, how much movement I have, how much strength I have through that range of motion. Right. Those are what coming to those coming together are what allow strength to happen. So it makes total sense that if at some point I'm going to max out my pull-up and I'm probably going to be limited by those factors in there. So if I'm simultaneously working on those factors, I'm going to get more out of that pull-up. I'm going to be able to get stronger at my pull-up because mm -hmm. the way that all that tissue works, like the more that we load it, the more efficient it gets. So if say we're just back squatting in theory, the, the longer we back squat, the more efficient that specific tissue is getting at doing the back squat. Well, the more efficient it gets, that also means the less demanding it is on that stuff, which is generally why, you know, that's why we run into plateaus. Like you, mm -hmm. you're back squatting, you're back squatting, you're back squatting. Maybe I've reached the maximal efficiency of this muscle tissue. Yes. That's as efficient as it's going gonna, mm -hmm. to get. It doesn't matter. I could do with 10,000 more back squats. It's just, it's at its peak efficiency. So where else can I bump those numbers up to improve it? Well, I could probably improve the internal and external rotation of my hip. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't have quite enough joint space there. Maybe I have my brain doesn't have a really good understanding of how to move that, you know? So it's, if I start working on that internal environment and cultivating it and making it better, that's going to allow me to get more out of that muscular training when I do it. And the model for the actual muscle training is, is very low volume. And it really just depends on what, you know, are you training for hypertrophy? Are you training for mm -hmm. strength? But it's kind of like, if, if intensity is what drives that adaptation, maybe I do want to put all my intensity into my squat. Well, gotcha. we got to look at then mm -hmm. what, what, what are stimulating reps and what are non-stimulating reps? So like, let's, I don't know, I had to do three sets of eight back squat today. And so they would say, well, why did you do three sets of eight squats? How many of those squats were stimulating effort squats? Well, maybe it was like, I did my three sets of eight and on my third set of eight, that, you know, five, six, seven, eight reps, it was like a super duper grind and I barely finished. It's like, okay, cool. Then I had four stimulating reps <laughs> of my squat well, what did I do with the other 20 squats? What were those there for? Well, those are essentially just muscle damage, but now my body has to take that out of that energy that was available. Now it's got to use more of that energy just to repair muscle damage, but that energy could be better used elsewhere. Like I could have put that energy towards building better hip capsule space and more control of my internal and external ah, rotation. Okay. <laughs> so what they're getting at is really like, okay, you want to squat? Cool. Let's squat, but we're going to make sure that all those reps of squats are fully stimulating reps. And once you get to say failure, that's it. You've hit your stimulating reps. That doesn't matter if that was one rep or three reps. Again, right. it's going to kind of depend on what we're going for mm -hmm. long-term for the stimulus. But, you know, it's like you did that. You did three squats today. Yeah. And that's all the squatting that you're doing. And even, you know, for me getting into FRC, like I've, I've really been playing with cutting my volume down and doing a lot more FRC mm -hmm. work and doing that kind of simultaneously with strength work. So we were sort of going this direction, but we were missing a ton of the really, the, the specificity that they're mm -hmm. showing us now. And so for the last month, I've been training, trying to follow this model exclusively. And, you know, I'm, it's working mm -hmm. amazingly yeah. and I feel really good. And at the same time, my ego is still in there. Like do one more set of squats. Right. Come on, let's do an extra set. Like that wasn't that That hard. never leaves. Yeah. It's, it never leaves. Man. Yeah, it never leaves Can't the party. It just hangs in the background there. So essentially it's really, it's putting together a system and a model. So you're not wasting any energy in your training time. Everything that you're doing yeah. is really stimulating from either the, you know, increasing the rotation, internal and external on maximizing the efficiency of your strength training, whether it's doing the maximal strength or even hypertrophy. There's really no wasted effort that we're putting no in wasted effort. Yeah. And you know, like it's very holistic. If you want to yeah. use that word, like this is, you know, it's like what we, you know, it's, I, I kind of look at it like, this is really like what we all want in, in the training world. Like people come to you and, and they want to improve, they want performance. They want to get, you know, maybe they're competitive power lifters. Maybe they just want to play with their kids and get up off the ground and feel right. good. You know, like, this model really works well for all of those, right? But it, it also does it in a way where you're not making any sacrifices because if we're just weight training on a long enough time scale, we are sacrificing other stuff. We're sacrificing our joint health if we're not putting yes. time in that because all of that stuff takes time and energy to maintain it. So this is a really nice model because it still allows you to get the, the cake that you want at the end, but you're also, you're getting all your vegetables and fruit and all that other shit in the same session. And so mm -hmm. you actually really are doing nutritious things for your body and getting the performance stuff that you want. And it turns out if you do that, maybe you don't need to do that amount of volume. I mean, 
you know, it's, it's a challenge for me. I'm, I mean, coming from CrossFit, I'm used to volume, like yes. volume is what go, makes you better go. at everything, right? <laughs> More is better. And so, you know, to squat one day a week and maybe only hit two to three squats every week, uh, minus maybe I have been trying to put in a speed day, but then it's like, damn, I did like six squats this whole week. My back squats going up though. I mean, it's like my numbers go up and in a given session, I mean, it makes sense just from looking at the overall time component. It's like, I had an hour workout session today. Those squats took t- 20 seconds. And out of that hour, I probably spent 50 minutes like working on my hip and my knee capsule. So it's like the next day, I mean, I did the squats and they were super hard, but I'm not really sore the next day. And it's like, damn, my hips feel so good. So it's just, you know, make, but that makes sense. It's like, well, I worked on my hips and knees for 50 minutes. They should feel great. I still squatted, but I'm not beat up from it. You know, it's just yeah. like, wow, that makes sense. Yeah. It is. It's funny. It's still just, uh, cause it makes perfect sense with that, but still sometimes in our head, we're just like, it's like, it's so much simpler if it's just like, Oh, just three sets of eight, just go in, just move a little bit, just knock them out. And then it's good. You feel yeah. like different when in reality, it's like, no, you don't need to do that much. Like, you know, put it in a different model. And as you said, it's like deadlifts going up squats, going up all the things that we want from the program are all doing what they're supposed to do. I know so sometimes still... we don't need to overthink. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally yeah. get I it. Mean, and so, you know, I, I, I mean, and I think like this, this is all, this is going to be the hurdle for people to get bought in. I mean, you know, look at what the standard model is for training for anybody, like these competitive people that are putting up outstanding numbers. It's not that their stuff isn't working. It's just more so like, maybe we could improve upon this. Maybe you don't have to do all of those reps. Maybe you can spend, not maybe, I mean, I'm experiencing it firsthand, but you know, you can spend time training your spine to be a better spine because what do you have to lose? Like if you make your spine better and your numbers are still going up, there's nothing to complain about outside of the little ego voice that we all have. Like if you just really want to do three sets of eight squats, go ahead and do them. Just approach that with the mindset of, you're going to have to adapt your training at some point because you are going to leave your hip behind at some point if you're just doing those squats, yeah. right? And I, and I think a lot of people, I mean, there's lots of stuff out there. There's lots of different mobility programs and stretching and all that stuff. But in what I've experienced, there's nothing that quite works on such a specific level to address all of those components of just how our body works. Like what, exactly. what a joint actually does. There's not really anything out there that's really focused on training all of those. And this really does encompass all of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever bad rap it gets, I think, I think part of that is just people seeing it. And it's like, it's such a rat, you know, we don't like different stuff. We like the things that work. We like the things that we're comfortable with. And we don't mm-hmm. want something that's going to, you know, turn everything upside down for us. So I think that's part of it. Yeah. And then the other part is just like, we have, it, it, we're inundated with this thing of like, it's Monday. So you better squat till you drop, you know, like if you want that nice ass, you got to do these squats until you can't walk, man. That's the only way that it works. And it's, it's really hard to, to get that out of our heads. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, on the strength side, like why I really enjoyed and, you know, fell in love with the strong first method, you know, coming back from RKC was it's, it's a development of skill, just like anything. It's something that you can learn and you can build. And I feel like FRC and kin stretch, they went in the same direction with mobility where this is a skill that you can develop. It's not just like a warm up, just to loosen up your body to do the other things that you want to do. It's actually something that can be a net positive and feed forward each day. You can actually get better at this every time yeah. you work. And like anything with that, it requires, I think, just a different level of focus. I think, you know, I've talked a lot about this on the podcast and of, you know, it's very easy to just blindly follow a program. I have this problem. I want to fix it. So this is the PDF that I just downloaded and I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm just going to say what it does. And I'm just going to trust that this works when the stuff that we're talking about, it takes a mental focus. You know, this might be something where you really need to get in tune with your body where that's, it's a different, it's a different type of energy. And it feels like it takes longer, but in reality, it's the same amount of time that you were spending before. It's just focus time that you have. And something like that, I believe that you just get into is going to feel a little bit different because it's not just a, a camp class that you jump into where the music's blaring and you can't think you're just going through one motion after another. It's like, no, you might actually sit and really focus on moving your knee in and out. Yeah. I did that with my ankle. I remember of actually like pulling, you know, going in and out after having a locked up ankle. And it's like, yeah, it takes a little bit different time. It takes a little different energy, but you know what? 
squat feels better. My knee doesn't hurt anymore. It's like, it's feeding all the right stuff. So anybody listening, if you're, you know, if this is something that you haven't experienced before and you're really interested in it, give it some time and really put some real dedicated, you know, focus into it. And I think it's going to, it's such a benefit for everybody. I felt it myself. I've seen it with so many different people and I think you explained it so well here, Grayson. So. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I love, I love what you said about the mindful component. I mean, getting into this just really showed me firsthand how mindless I was training. I was very blacked out. You know, it was just like, I don't know. I had to do three sets of 10 squats today. Did I do it or not? Yes. No. Boom. That's all I have to think about it. It's hard. You know, when you start to do this, just from that, like all of those things, like the first step is admitting you have a problem. You know, like if I'm squatting and my hip hurts a little bit when I squat, for me to say, my hip hurts when I squat, I need to address that. What's happening? I start training that, like I'm admitting that I have a problem when I squat, you know, like, and that's hard when we get attached to that stuff. But the long term, nobody is ever going to complain about having a better hip. It doesn't matter if you had to take time off squatting, like, Life is short, but it's not so short that you can't take some time off from doing something to improve a part of your body. Like despite it being a bummer, maybe if you can't squat right now or whatever that is, like you will always be grateful for the time that you spent improving the capacity of one of those really important parts, because we all know, and we all have stories or we know people who are like, they have hip surgery and it was bad or mm-hmm. they, the, the, the amount of recovery time needed. It's like, we don't want to do that. We would probably regret not training our hip to get better if we had to have hip surgery. But a lot of the time it's such a long drawn out process to get to that point that we don't, we don't think about it in those terms. No doubt. No doubt. Like um, we don't want that. I want yeah. to work out till I'm old. <laughs> exactly. If I live that long, I want to feel good. You know, that's it's, it. It's straight up. Absolutely. Um, Dude, Grayson, this time flew by with you, man. So we're gonna have it to did, do a, we're gonna have to do a part two on this. Like we just feel like I we're would, just getting started. I would so, love to, dude. That would be absolutely. great. Yeah. No, seriously, man. Uh, thanks so much for the time. It's been awesome, you know, connecting with cool. you here. So Thank for you, the likewise. listener, absolutely for the listeners, um, they want to connect with you. Where's the best place that they can uh, reach out and check out your stuff? Yeah, um, we have. Uh, I have my Instagram page. My name is it's my last name and first name, Strange Grayson. Um, our Instagram business page is just called Basis New York. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a website, Basis in Health and Performance NY uh, com. Um, yeah, we have uh, we have a, a monthly kin stretch program up there. We have strength programs, um, and we're going to be developing more along the internal strength model lines for the program sales. So you can the link is in my bio on my Instagram page. Page if you want to go out and check out those programs, you can DM me, email any of those things are good. But if you have questions, hit me up. Love it, perfect. So sweet, brother. Thank you so much, man. This has absolutely, been absolutely, awesome. man. Absolutely, Total looking forward to, absolutely. Look forward to the next one. Uh, All right, listeners. Thank you so much for connecting. If you want to yeah. connect with Grayson and follow him, you know where to do so. And I'll catch you on the next one. Bye, guys. Peace. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.